On today's show, our guest is Mary Shores. Mary's rollercoaster life began with being abandoned at a young age and tragically losing her first child. But she was able to overcome life's hurdles and turn tragedy into triumph by founding her now eight-figure business empire at the age of just 24. Mary is an expert in personal development, but she's not a life coach. She's a businesswoman who discovered a roadmap of how to get control of your life. And she truly walks her talk by generating pragmatic solutions for people who are freaking out. Mary is the author of Conscious Communications, which is a step-by-step guide to harnessing the power of your words to change your mind, your choices, and your life. The thoughts you think, the words you speak, the actions you take, they all shape the reality that you live in. And the truth is, in order to have the life, the love, the career, the adventure, the health, and the deep satisfaction that we all crave, we have to change these old narratives into empowering ones. Mary has an amazing goal in story that I know that you'll draw inspiration from. I'm excited she's here, so please help me in welcoming Mary Shores. Hey, are you totally committed? Are you playing full out? Are you all in? Hi, my name is Robert Brass, and this is the Go All In Podcast. Join me as we explore amazing stories of success, heartache, and absolute triumph by those who have gone all in. I'm glad you're here, so let's get to it and do whatever it takes to go all in and create the life of your dreams. Well, good day, Mary. Welcome to the Go All In Podcast. It's great to have you here. Hey, I'm ready to go all in. All right, all right. I hope so because I start off all of my shows with a little quick get-to-know-you quiz that helps warm us up, calms the nerves down a little bit. And for the folks listening, maybe they'll get to know something about you that they don't already know. It's in no particular order. It's pretty random. Just tell me the first thing that comes to mind. You ready? I am. All right. Do you prefer public speaking or the solitude of writing? Hmm, Public speaking. Yeah. The feedback mechanism, is that what you like? I like it because it's more natural for me. Mm-hmm. You know, writing, a lot of my writing is actually based on my public speaking because I record everything and transcribe it. And I find that like having that raw piece of transcription is easy for me to edit and then do more writing. Whereas if I sit down and I say to myself, okay, you're going to write a page, just <laughs> nothing happens. <laughs> Writing's really hard work, isn't it? The genesis of my podcast was actually me wanting to write a book. And then I realized along the way that I actually wanted to share my opinions more than I wanted to write a book. And I thought it would be easier to do that in a podcast. And I, I think I found my feet in doing that. I felt, I felt like when I was writing, I was shouting down an empty hallway a little bit too much and I wasn't getting the feedback. So it worked for me like that. So I'd have to agree with you there. I'm going to ask you an Aussie question to the American on the other end of the call. Do you prefer the beach or the bush? Hmm, the beach. Yeah. Many beaches where you are? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Do you get out to the ocean much? Oh, it's been a while. I just recently went to the Amazon jungle, so I guess you'd consider that bush, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's probably been, let's see, 2016 I went to Hawaii, and actually the the retreat center I went to has been taken out, demolished by the volcano that's erupting there. Oh, gosh, right. So it's a beautiful place. I'm sad to see it go, and I'm very grateful that I got to visit it before it was destroyed. It had these, like, black sand beaches, just absolutely pristine. Well, that's proper beach in the tropics on Hawaii. It doesn't get much more pristine than that. It's lovely. Very nice. Very nice. All right. Serious one. Do you prefer meditation or contemplation? Hmm, contemplation. All right. Do you, can you sing? <laughs> no. <laughs> can you play an instrument? No. 
Do you sing in the car? Come on. I do sing occasionally in the car or in the uh, shower. <laughs> Tell me, what was, uh, what was your first car? Mm, my first car was, so no one's going to have heard of this car, but <laughs> it's called a Ford Fiesta. And it was very, very old. And every time I started it, it would catch on fire. So there's a newer catch version. Fire. Yeah, it would catch, catch on fire. It might have even been a diesel. Gosh. That must have been really old. It was a diesel. Yeah, it was pretty old. <laughs> you know, I've never asked that question and had like a normal response. And somebody said, yeah, I had this really cool hotted up car. It's always been a bomb with something that was wrong with it. It always had busted brakes or a busted fuel line or something wrong with it. It's kind of, kind of fun. Every, I think virtually everybody on the planet has had the same experience with their first car. It's kind of cool. I think my parents went out and said, let's find the most unsafe car available. <laughs> Give it to her. Well done. It teaches you some life lessons there. All right, last one in a little quiz here. If you had the opportunity to go back in time for 10 minutes and spend it with anybody, who would you visit and what would you say? Wow, what a what an interesting question. <laughs> 10 minutes to spend time with anybody I could in history. So the first name that comes to mind, is, which was what you said to do, is the Buddha. Oh, very nice. What would you say? What would you ask? I would ask him about enlightenment. <laughs> Perfect. Of course. What, what other question would you ask? <laughs> <laughs> very nice. Very nice. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. It's a little bit of fun to kick it all off. Well, people come on over to the Go All In podcast to learn more about others that have gone all in. So if you could, Mary, could you please share with us your biggest Go All In story or stories and the lessons that you've learned from your commitment to success? My whole life is a go all in story. <laughs> so I'm not even kidding. So from the time I was 16 and out of my own, just like a true rags to riches story, started my own business at 24 years old. And just really, you know, in order to be able to do that at such a young age, I was totally, you know, all in. But I also felt like I had nothing to lose. Mm -hmm. I was 24. You know, the stakes would be a little bit higher at 44. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, and the story is just crazy of how it came about because my parents had owned a family business and they had been long since divorced. My mother really took the business, what was left of it, and destroyed it even further. Ended up in hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt, literally left town in the middle of the night, like packed up her car and several semis full of stuff that she was not supposed to keep and drove away. Gosh. And I was sort of left there with, you know, the only person that knew what was going on. And um, so what I did was I, I continued to do what I could for the business, even though there I wasn't getting paid or, you know, anything like that, but I was trying to just clean things up. And I wrote a letter to some of the clients asking them if I started my own business, would they give me a shot? And enough of them said yes, that I was able to go out on my own. What was it? What was the business? So the business is a collection agency. How ironic is that? Do you know what a collection agency is? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so you had a collections agency. Is that the business that you had like when your mom left or was that the one that you started? Both. Both. So that was the family business. And that is also the business I've had now for 20 years. Oh, fantastic. Did you realize that you were all in at the time or was it just something that you did just because you kind of had no other choice? 
Well, I mean, I certainly, I certainly had choices. And I think that at the time, what my mindset was, is that due to my circumstances, which were that at the time I didn't have a college degree, I had just lost, I just lost my first child. She passed away of a very severe brain injury that happened at birth. And I guess I kind of felt like at the end of my rope. You know what I mean? Like I, I would love to tell you a big empowerment story that I was like all juiced up and ready to conquer the world, mm. but it was actually quite the opposite. And, and during that time in my life, I would say that I was seeing my friends reach milestones that I knew that I wouldn't be able to achieve. So for example, they were all graduating. They were all graduating with their bachelor's degree and they were getting jobs and they were getting, you know, high pay, high paying salary jobs, good jobs. And I didn't think that I would qualify for any of that. So more so as a fallback, I thought, well, this is what I know how to do. And let me give this a try. I had no, I had no idea at the time that it would turn into an eight figure business you know, over time, I had no idea I would create a communication strategy that would go on to become a best-selling book. I had no idea all of those things. So I was all in for sure, but had no set outcome in mind as far as long-term planning. Nice. It's a, it's a really interesting way that you describe going into business. You sort of almost forced into it and you've got a choice not to do that, of course, and, but you took the, the opportunity and, and you ran with it. How far into the business when, it, when you realized it was actually working, you had a little bit of traction, you had some clients, you're making some money, were you three months in, six months in, or did it happen straight away for you when you brought those mm -hmm. other clients across from the other business? I would say it was a couple of years in when I knew that I had steady income coming in every that month. That took you a long time. Yeah. You know, and also I didn't have to be as frugal. I heard you on another show talking about entrepreneurship and you know, one of the things that I learned very early on about being an entrepreneur is you really need to understand the difference between things you want and things you need. <laughs> and so I got really good at living well below my means and really, you know, buying the things that I needed and not necessarily the things that I wanted. Mm -hmm. And then that just sort of created a foundation for me in my young adulthood to live that way. And so I always felt super prepared, whichever direction that it would go. Mm -hmm. And always, you know, I've always been a humble person. So I don't know that I've actually reached that point today that you're asking me. <laughs> you, you have to learn the business from the ground up. I mean, small business is hard. You, you, there's 55 different things happening at any, and throughout any 20 second bracket throughout the day. And you've got to learn to be an octopus. I mean, you've got to learn sales, you've got to learn marketing, you've got to learn cash flow accountancy. There's a thousand things you've got to do. How did you cope with all of that early on, especially as a young woman, only in her early twenties and all the other personal thing that's going on as well, that, which is very traumatic what you, what you said. I'm, yeah, I'm so glad you asked me that because a lot of people, myself included, might have assumed that since I was in the same industry as my family that I would know everything about that. Well, it's a good thing that when I was 23 and 24, I actually believed I knew everything because... <laughs> What I learned very quickly was that I didn't know anything. And so, yes, I had to learn everything from the ground up. And I just did that by handling everything that would come on my desk that particular day. So, you know, I had to learn how to calculate the taxes from the withholding of the payroll. I had to learn about hiring people. I had to learn, 
You know, I had to learn how to conduct myself in meetings. I had to learn court procedures. I had to learn all of the laws, all of the things that um, I also had to learn how to be effective at my task because Mm -hmm. if I wasn't good, the collections industry is a commission-based industry. So if you're not good at what you do, you're not going to make any money. Yeah. (laughs) That's, There's a lot riding on that. That's for sure. Your whole income. Mm-hmm. Well, and another thing is that the collections industry in the, in the States anyway, I'm not sure how it is, you know, on your side of the world, but for us, it's, there's a negative stigma attached to collections and that negative stigma has been earned by all of the decades of abuses that have been going on with debt collectors. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that sort of set me on this different trajectory or different path in life was because I didn't want to be that way. I wanted to treat people people with respect. I wanted to bring humanity back to an industry that had been dehumanized. Mm. And um, I just really believe right down to the core of my being that having a debt is a psychological burden. And it's a burden that keeps people from pursuing their dreams. I mean, we know statistically that people who owe debt, they don't necessarily apply for the same job. They won't apply for a mortgage. They, and a lot of times won't even date the same person because see, they have this core foundational feeling of shame and unworthiness. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's really where I started to differ from other people. Were you successful in that? Yes, absolutely. So that's, um, I created a communication strategy. I call it words that work. And it's all about, I just sat down one day and I decided that I wanted people to be happy about the fact that they were actually interested in paying their debt instead of using fear and intimidation to threaten them to get them to pay the debt. And initially it failed and it failed for two main reasons. The first one was that my competition. So if you think about, you know, competition in my industry, it's all the other debt collectors because typically when someone owes a debt, they don't just owe one company, you know, they owe multiple companies. Mm -hmm. And so because my competition was using fear and intimidation to collect, what was happening was they were getting paid and I wasn't because humans are wired for what's called negativity bias. So what this means is that we have a stronger reaction to bad news than we do to good news. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a whole science you know, behind how and why all of that works. The other reason it failed is because it didn't address, the sales approach did not address the shame and unworthiness that people feel. And so once I figured that out, it was easy for me to understand like what was triggering them most importantly and how to overcome those obstacles and come up with a solution. And were you able to turn that into something that was that you could replicate? So it wasn't just you having to do that all the time. You'd hand that off to your staff and teach your staff how to do it. Yes, I absolutely did. So we we um, have an entire boot camp process for onboarding where we teach people because basically awesome. for rules that work, there's three rules and three steps and they're super, super easy, but they do take practice because it's not the kind of communication that comes naturally to people. Mm-hmm. And so after many years of that, I started training it in other industries such as healthcare and IT and just any kind of, you know, if you're talking to another human on the phone or in person, you could certainly use this training. <laughs> and then I was able to translate that into my best-selling personal development book, Conscious Communications. Mm-hmm. Before we move off the business and the go all in story there, which is really cool, by the way, thank you so much for sharing that. I, I always like to ask this of business owners, particularly in the early days, can you cast your mind back to 
the task that you hated the most that you, when you had the opportunity to hand that off, you were like, Oh my goodness, that is so such a relief. Was there one thing that you just hated doing that you handed off? Well, I don't like doing taxes. <laughs> There's a few like sadistic people in the world that actually do seem to get off on that for some reason. Those accountant types, even accountants <laughs> don't like doing taxes, but they seem to be very good at it. Right. Yeah, that's the one thing. Then you and you always have to do them every single year. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I know in my um in my digital marketing agency, you know, it, just in marketing, you have to learn to use Photoshop. You have to learn to get good at that stuff, and it was just always been a struggle for me. And sometimes I find myself, you know, trying to onboard a client, and I'm, you know, this is my idea of how we should do it, and and I'm fiddling with it, and I'm creating it, and and forty five minutes will pass, and I just say, what are you doing? There's a whole team of like designers sitting behind me, but here I am, get it out of there. And even today, I still find myself doing that just out of, out of habit. But I'm certain, I'm certain that you don't find yourself there fiddling with taxes, do you? Oh, well, actually I do. I ah. mean, there's, there's parts of it that there's parts of it that only I can do, you know, and then there's parts of it, obviously that the accounting firms can do. And course, I have, yeah. Yeah. I have some staff that can help me gather documents, but Taxes is a definitely a CEO responsibility. A necessary evil in business, unfortunately, just part of part of being in business and, and living life. Well, you, you alluded to your book there, Conscious Communication, and obviously that's kind of born out of all of the things and experience that you've had there in business and in life in general. Tell us a little bit about it. Well, Conscious Communications is my like lifelong dream come true. And I, I know that you like to chat about writing. So, you know, what I would say about conscious communications is that this was a book inside of me for 10 years. And it was so strong that I wanted to write this book that I would go around and I would say to anyone who would listen, I want to write a book, but I'm not a writer. And the thing is, oh yes. And, and the thing is that words are like a mirror to your subconscious mind. So it's like, when you hear me say the words, I want to write a book. It's like, you can see that written on my soul that I've come in here with this purpose to write a book, but see, I have a really big problem when the next words out of my mouth are, but I'm not a writer because those words are also revealing something in my subconscious. And what they're revealing is a belief system that is never going to allow me to write a book because somewhere, somehow in my past, I just developed a belief that I was not good enough or capable enough or whatever to write a book. And so, you know, that story is actually a great premise to what the book is about because the book is, uh, the subtitle is, your step-by-step guide to harnessing the power of your words to change your mind, your choices in your life. And this is not just your typical affirmations book. I mean, this goes really, really deep into some personal development strategies that help people make real transformation over time. And that's, you know, works layer by layer. And so each chapter just builds upon the next concepts that help you move forward in life. You, you said that you had that in you for, for 10 years when you finally took the leap to actually start doing it and you're playing with it. Did it come easily to you? Did you free flow and it just kind of flowed out of the keyboard on, onto the screen or was it like fighting against it and swimming against the tide? Well, before I was going to do anything, I needed to address that 
disbelief that I was not a writer. And so what I did was I went to a writer's workshop at Omega Institute, which is a retreat center in upstate New York. And I sat there with a very famous, actually, writing teacher. Her name is Cheryl Strayed. And she wrote a New York Times number one bestseller called Wild, which was also made into a movie starring Reese Witherspoon. And so she's a very accomplished writer and I'm sitting in this writing class scared to death and um, even introduced myself in such a disempowering way. But by the end of that week, I wrote a short story about my daughter who passed away in 1993, about my son who's on the autism spectrum and what it's like to raise a child as a single mother with no rule book and the trials and tribulations about that. And then I also paralleled that with the roller coaster journey of being an entrepreneur, being a CEO. And when I read that piece that I wrote to the class, none of them laughed at me or told me that I wasn't a writer. As a matter of fact, people were crying and stood in line to talk to me and hug me and tell me how much my story had moved them. And this was just a little short three page thing that I wrote. But see what happened was that my subconscious saw the evidence that it needed to get my belief system in alignment with my goal. And so after that happened, yes, you know, it was like I first built that confidence and then I set out to start doing things, but I actually didn't sit and just write a book. I, I wrote a proposal first. I think a lot of would-be writers or like what I like to say, aspiring authors, probably like me, think that writers sit down and just start banging out chapters and books and all of this when, when really, if you want to get it published, it's if you write a proposal first, which is about a 50 to 60 page document, then you submit that to a publisher so that you can see if they want to publish your book. And so that's what I did. And I did that. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yes. (laughs) I'm happy. The first time you did it at work. You know, I was all in. Oh, you were all in. I love that. I was all in. And what happened was I was wanting to write this book. And I really wanted it to be based on my words that work training. And so I worked on that version of it for quite a while, actually about six months. And then I realized because my one opportunity to publish, my biggest opportunity to publish was with Hay House Publishers. And the thing about Hay House is they are really known for personal development and spiritual books. Yeah. They are not known for business books. It's like, hello, McFly, (laughs) you know, what are you thinking here? So I needed to change this book to personal development. And the best thing happened. It's like, you know, the universe really wanted this book to get out because they swooped in. They gave me, um, a friend of mine asked me to go and speak with him in New York at his willpower weekend. And he said, but Mary, you can't come here and talk about business. It has to be something spiritual or personal development. And so quite because I was forced to, you know, I'm one of those people that like you get me under a deadline and all of a sudden I can, I can really do it. So I was, I gave this really incredible workshop and recorded the whole thing. And then that's what I used to turn into the proposal. Had you done much personal development stuff previously yourself? Have you been to Tony Robbins or Esther Hicks or stuff like that before? (laughs) I've been to both Esther Hicks and Tony Robbins. And and yes, so I've been serious into personal development for at least 15 years. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, the first half of that, you know, I feel like I started with personal development and then it graduated or evolved into spiritual development. Right. 
And my journey on that was uh, slightly different. I sort of, I found the business side of that first, a little bit later in life after I left the military, after nine, 10 years, whatever it was. And, and I found the business side of it and understand the Robert Kiyosaki philosophies. And then I discovered the Esther Hicks stuff and then the Tony Robbins stuff. And then I've kind of come full circle back into the business side of it. I never really got deeply into the spiritual side of it, but um, it's more about practical, pragmatic things for me that I really like. And I love the Esther Hicks stuff as well. That's about as far to the left as I kind of lean, which is pretty good for a blokey sort of masculine Aussie bloke like me. I think that's kind of cool. You know, I love all of that stuff too. And I've, I've got one little caveat that I'd love to talk about mm-hmm. is that I think that we've gone as a culture in Western culture, I think we've gone a bit overboard on the positive thinking element of things <laughs> now. And I'm not against positive thinking. As a matter of fact, the day my book hit number one on Amazon, it was in three categories. And one of them actually was happiness. Oh, nice. And I think that's funny because I'm like, well, I am not the poster child for happiness over here. <laughs> but here's what I want to say about the positive thinking movement is it's great, but it doesn't leave us a way to process our emotions when life hits the fan. And what happens is that if we are not processing these emotions because we have convinced ourselves or we've read a book that's talking about the power of positivity, which is very true, by the way, but what happens is if we don't process the things that happen to us, our bodies are like libraries and they store everything. Mm-hmm. And so these, these problems, these traumas, if you will, get stored into your body and they manifest later in life in some sort of strange illness, like an autoimmune or, you know, it, I mean, it could be anything, but I think that we have to learn as humans to accept that there is a spectrum of emotions and that they're all valid and they're all equally important. Yeah, I would, I would completely agree with that. If you're leaning too far to that positive side, then there's a lot of bad stuff that goes on in the world. Just go and turn the news on at any one point throughout the day and somebody got run over, murdered, killed. There's a war going on. There's really awful stuff. And if you stay, likewise, if you stay in that awful news cycle constantly like that. You forget about all the wonderful, beautiful things in the world. And it's really important to have that balance and, and acknowledge that. And I discovered that along the way as well. In the military, you spend a lot of time leaning to that real negative side just because just by virtue of what it is that you do for a job. And then when you come out of the military, part of the difficult part of transitioning for me anyway, I can't speak for everybody, but the, the difficult transition is trying to find your feet in the civilian world and all of these like kind and warm and friendly people. And it took me a long time to transition out of the hard ass infantry mentality that I had that was just ingrained in me for such a long time because I kind of grew up there and you grow up and you keep those traits. And even today I still have those traits, but I like to think that the older I get, the more of a hippie I sort of become and the less <laughs> kind of the less more, I don't want to go and mix it up like I did back in the day sort of thing. You know, that's all gone from me now, which is kind of good. Tell me, you've got conscious communication and it's all about language and verbiage and stuff like that. Tell me why remove, why is removing negative keywords from your language so damn important? It's important for many reasons. I mean, one being, and this is the way I learned it from a neurological perspective, we are 
triggering each other with the words that we say. So when you say to another person something negative, it's going to trigger them and, and plant, it's going to plant a seed for a negative outcome in their mind. Okay. So you're influencing the mindset of the other person. But when we look at it from an interpersonal perspective, what it does to our subconscious is, you know, our subconscious is built on these programs that we develop throughout our lives. And the more that we use negative words, negative self-talk, it's a form of self-programming, you know, and it's like I was saying before, it's so revealing. Like in the book I talk about, I was out to dinner with a friend of mine and she just looked at the restaurant and said, too rich for my blood. So if you think about that, I mean, first of all, it wasn't an expensive restaurant and we were there just for appetizers and they were half off. But see, she was revealing that she felt unworthy and not good enough to be there. But not only that she felt this way, but her entire lineage of people, mm. her blood, you know, it's just like these <laughs> things. And you know what that shows me is that she grew up in poverty, which I knew because she was an immigrant from the Philippines. But see, those belief systems, they get ingrained in us in early childhood and we begin to develop behaviors over time. And those behaviors form into our mindset and our personality. So in order to unravel some of that, the, one of the easy ways, you know, Wayne Dyer was always very famous for saying, change your thoughts, change your world. Mm -hmm. And I would try that. I'm sure Esther Hicks has said the same thing, but my problem was I can't control my thoughts. And I would try and try and I would drive myself nuts. And when I really started to want to understand the concept of alignment, because all these teachers were talking about, oh, you, you have to be in alignment. I'm like, what the hell does that mean? It just sounded like a bunch of like a foreign language. I just didn't understand it. Yeah. So I just set out to make a definition of alignment for myself. And what I came up with is it's when your thoughts, your words, your actions, your beliefs, and your feelings are all moving in the direction of what you want. Beautiful. So everything is lining up. But what I realized, and I go back to my own example of wanting to be a writer, but saying I'm not, you know, I want to write a book, but I'm not a writer. That's a great example of words being out of alignment. Mm -hmm. And so because I was a big disaster artist at not being able to control my thoughts, mm -hmm. the things that I could control were my words and my actions. Mm -hmm. So I went to that writer's workshop. I, that's an action. I can control that. My words, I can be deliberate about the things that I say and talk about and do, right? And then eventually the feedback loop comes around and begins to change my thoughts and begins to change my feelings, mm -hmm. right? So, but it, but it had to cycle through and get to that point. Do you think that's a habit people develop once they understand that? Is it something that once can be what? You know, once I really learned the power of words, it became very deliberate on my part to always say good things, always, you know, really understand. I'll tell you, when I was writing and I was, I was probably around the middle part of the book and I was checking in with my editor and I was, you know, I was like a little insecure, first time writer kind of thing. And I was struggling with the title of the book. And I got on, I woke up one morning and I just had this huge desire to learn the Hebrew alphabet. Now, I think that's unusual to wake up and think, I need yes. to learn the Hebrew alphabet today. I would agree. That's unusual. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. Yeah. 
So it was such a strong desire that I actually went to YouTube because that's where I learn everything. And um, I found a rabbi that was videotaping his Hebrew classes and I'm watching this video and he gets 29 minutes in and he, and I realized the reason I was led to watch this video was because he said in the Hebrew language, there's an ancient word that everyone knows as the word that the magician uses when he pulls the rabbit out of the hat. And the word is abracadabra. Abracadabra, yeah. And he said, that's an ancient Aramaic word. And what it means is actually two words. It's abara, which means I will create, kadabra as I speak. I will create as I speak. Love now, it. ever since I was a young child, I, if I, if I didn't become a CEO and a writer, I, I would have, my fallback career would be like a, a female Indiana Jones archaeologist. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Uh, the Lara <laughs> like, Croft tomb writer, the modern day. <laughs> I know. I kind of look enough like her, right? Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Yeah. But I totally like wanted to be, you know, down in the pyramids, discovering all of the ancient secrets, because I feel like there's a knowledge that was possessed back then that we've, that we've lost sight of over the millennia. And that's fine. I mean, things change and evolve, but that was such a validation of how powerful words are, because if we're, you know, we're getting closer and closer that more and more folks out there are understanding and actually believing that we really are creating our own reality. Mm -hmm. But how do you do that? And you create your own reality by everything that's in your mind, everything that's in your subconscious, all of your belief systems and your words are part of that. And so if you've got some junk in the trunk or in the basement of your mind, which is the subconscious, like I certainly do because I've gone through so much trauma in life, then I really set out to very deliberately change my programming. And so the book is all of the different things that I did throughout my life to really get control and create a massive amount of success out of very dire circumstances. Because the truth is I should have become a statistic. Mm, that's really beautifully put. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. It's interesting. Um, I was, as you're speaking there, I'm kind of trying to draw my comparison to you as well and how you were saying that you had, you felt like you had no business being a writer, even though you felt like you wanted to be a writer. I actually had the opposite feeling. I, I wanted to be a broadcaster. I wanted to podcast, but my, like, everything in my being is telling me to do that. But in my head, my head is telling me I've got no business doing that. I don't have enough life experience. Who would want to listen to what I've got to say anyway? I'm not good enough to do that. And it's and I realized that was my ego in the way. And when I kind of got out of my own way and did it anyway, and I, I actually, I went all in on it and, you know, I'm going to create a show called Go All In. Well, you got to go all in on it. And I sort of painted myself into a corner like that, which is a little bit, when I look back at it now, even though it's not that long ago, it's maybe that wasn't such a good idea because it forced you to do that and, and it, that growth was very painful, but in my mind, I never really felt like I was doing the wrong thing. I used to, I would feel physically like, oh, I got no business doing this. What are you doing? And I would have this like physical struggle with myself and it was really hard. And, and then I could just intellectualize and say, look, that's just your ego. Just get out of your own way. Just do it afraid. Anyway, you've done harder stuff than this in your life. All you're doing is having a conversation and pressing the record button. It's a really interesting dichotomy of what happens to you physically and intellectually and mentally at the same time. And, and the process that you have to go through to overcome that, 
I think as a guy, I'm not able to articulate it as well as what you can as a, as an author. And you know, that's the topic and subject that you talk about. But for me, my experience has been very physical. I have to say in fighting my way through it. Is that something that's common that you hear other people say? Well, I definitely know that for myself, you know, I share it all the time that my journey, because everything that happened was leading up to that moment when that book hit the shelves, everything. I mean, Mm -hmm. I can go back to little things that happened along the way, but I always looked at my journey and realized that it was not a graceful one. Um, and it was uncomfortable. And, you know, the thing is that we, we talk a lot about comfort zones and what I'm hearing you beautifully share is that it's discomforting when you get out of your comfort zone. Very. That's why it's called comfort zone. <laughs> it's nice and cozy in there. You get outside that walls of your comfort zone and it's can be scary and dark. And like you said, physically uncomfortable, you know, because because everything in your belief system wants to hold you back for whatever belief you've developed. And we're all different. I mean, there's billions of us on the planet and no two of us have the same subconscious mind. And so, you know, one of the ways that I think it's important to share with the audience is to say like, well, what are some things you can do to sort of, to sort of bring out your gifts in that world of, of uncomfortability. And just this year, I realized how important it is to be grateful for whatever your natural skills, gifts, and talents are. And for you, you know, you've got this message you want to share. For me, I've got this message that I want to share, and mm-hmm. that's great. But people have all kinds of talents. You know, we were talking about accountants. <laughs> They've got a talent for numbers. I do. And they understand money, you know, and so that's, that's such a special gift to be grateful for. Or if someone's a teacher or a nurturer or a healer or, you know, anything in between, even if, you know, their skill is the mowing the grass, it's just such a beautiful thing to be cultivating the earth. The more that we can be grateful for these skills, gifts, and talents, the more that those skills, gifts, and talents rise up within us and become more comfortable, become more powerful than the uncomfortable zone. Mm-hmm. You know, when that desire to achieve outweighs the uncomfortableness of being outside that box, you're going to see amazing things happen. You, you're so, so unbelievably correct. And you're describing my exact journey just in the last couple of, you know, in the last six months that I've been doing this podcasting thing. And, you know, I, I would meticulously prepare for an interview. And for this one, I, I prepared. It's taken me 90 minutes or so to prepare. Um, it's been a couple of months in the coming. and there's been a few times along the way, I think I hit about episode number 20 when I started to find a groove and started to, it didn't feel so uncomfortable or forced anymore. It was, I found my feet, I found my voice. It was okay. But there was a few mistakes that I made in and around episode late twenties, early thirties, where I just made a mistake with my calendar. And I was like, Oh no, there's a podcast in 10 minutes. I get a reminder on my watch and I'd, I'd done no prep. I'd done, I just wasn't ready. And you know, these are a decent guests, you know, I've got to show them the respect that is due, but then I kind of just, I did it anyway and I got through it and I felt like I'd found the groove. And I remember that it happened to me twice. You know, you make a mistake. That's the first time that's once twice. That's like a bit silly, you know, you shouldn't be doing that, but it hasn't happened again, but I have found that I've been really comfortable in what I do now because I've developed the emotional muscle and I've developed the skills and I, and I got there and the way you describe it and articulate it is exactly what's happened to me. It just became less and less uncomfortable and I, and I arrived and I got there, which is really nice. So it's nice to have some really eloquent words put around. It. It's kind of cool. 
<laughs> yeah, and I love I love what you're saying too about you know being all in. Here you're you're ten minutes out and you're not feeling prepared, and then that allowed that that skill to just come through anyway. Good for you. Yeah, it's nice. We all love the idea of living a uh, a super fearless and a fulfilled life you know, on the note of comfort and comfort zones and stuff. So why do you think that so many people don't do that? And so many people are like kind of shrinking violets and they're snowflakes and they're offended at every little turn. Why do you think people don't live a more fulfilled and full life? Well, I mean, even just piggybacking on the conversation that we just had about, you know, whether you're living in that comfort zone or you're going out into venturing out into the uncomfortable zone <laughs> where everything we do is determined. Every action you take, every word you speak Everything, every choice you make in the thinnest sliced moments of life is either going to create a connection to your dreams and desires and the things you want, or it's going to create a disconnection. And so when we're making choices that are always moving us further away from the things we want, then it just becomes, you start to lose that fulfillment in life. When we're making choices that are getting us closer to that dream, getting us closer to that goal, then we can seek a lot or feel a lot of fulfillment in that. When we're being authentically who we are meant to be, that's another thing that's going to lead us to fulfillment. But if we're living a life that's full of have tos, because, you know, I don't know about you, but I guess I was raised in this time in the eighties and in the nineties where as a female, it was sort of like, grow up, get your diploma go to college, get the career, get a job, buy a house, get the husband, have the kids, get a divorce, <laughs> lose everything, start over, have a nervous breakdown. And things were I like going. The there that you have. <laughs> <laughs> but that's my story. I mean, that's the story of everyone who's my age. Yeah. You know, Boy. I don't have I don't have any friends that are that are still married to their high school sweetheart. That ship done sailed a long time ago. Yeah. So all of those beliefs led us to a place of despair. And a lot of times when you're in this despair, you're in a hole and, and you're in this hole and it's dark and it's deep and you don't have a ladder or a flashlight. So you just stay stuck in there. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I talk about often is like beliefs as barriers, because once you believe you can't do something, if you don't force yourself to take action anyway, that belief, I call it barrier belief because it literally builds a brick wall between you and whatever it is, that thing you want on the other side. Beautiful, beautifully said and beautifully articulated as I knew it would be. Well, as we draw to the end of the podcast here, I, I wanted to ask um, maybe a little bit of a self-serving question. My son is 17. He's about to leave high school. He's uh, about to get going with his life and it's, he's got everything in front of him and it's really exciting for him. I had a really nice conversation with him the other day about, you know, making the most of the last bit of high school before you go to work or go to uni, whatever it is, you know, just make the most of it because it's a special time in anybody's life and kind of a bit jealous. I wish I could go back and do that all again and relive my life again like that. I'm not trying to do that through him, but it's fun. I wish that somebody had shared what you've written in conscious communication with me when I was a young bloke, because I think that would make me so much more self-aware and, and help me to develop as a person without so much outside influence. What would you say to a young person about to leave high school about conscious communication and their language and their verbiage? <laughs> Actually, what I was thinking to say to your son is something that my 17-year-old son told me when oh, he was like <laughs> 14. Yeah. So this is wisdom coming from my son, Hayden, who's 17, but he yeah. was 14 at the time he said this. 
So this is for your son. There's three important types of people in your life. There are your guiders, your peers, and your followers. And your guiders are your people that you learn how to be in the world through them. So these are your mentors, your influencers, your parents, your grandparents, your coaches, your teachers, you know, your, your spiritual leaders, your, you know, those kinds of things. So they are teaching you how to be in the world. Then you have your peers. These are your friends. These are your partners, your spouse someday. These are the people who support you in who, being the best version of who you can be in the world right now today. And then you have your followers and your followers are the people that you're their guiders. So you're teaching them how to be in the world. And so what I would say to him is find a good guider and be a good guider Beautiful. and don't be an asshole. <laughs> Somebody on the plane said that to my son. He was like, don't be an asshole. But in all seriousness, from my, my son just turned 17 and I took him to a Tony Robbins event and he became a firewalker nice. and he became a firewalker on his 17th birthday. And I was so proud of that moment because I feel like we've lost the rituals and rites of passages for, for young men and women. And so for me to give him this experience, it really felt like this nice rite of passage for a 17 year old. Mm, I'm going to, maybe I shouldn't say it publicly, but I know he doesn't really listen to this podcast. I'm just going to cut that bit out that you said, and I'm going to send that to him <laughs> in an audio file that don't be an asshole bit. And I'll just, this is, this is what <laughs> is wise best-selling author says about, you know, when you leave school, this life. Is- Thing to remember you know, one one fun rider passage that i want to do with him is take him down the racetrack and go and tear around the racetrack in a fast car i remember you know we live in a bit of a nanny state now you don't do that anymore not that you should have ever have done that but young blokes here in australia used to tear around in cars like maniacs i think like young blokes everywhere in the world and i think that's a bit of a rite of passage so that's something i'm definitely going to do with him when he turns 18 take him down the racetrack and go and have some fun and do that because i feel like that that is a little bit of a rite of passage and not in a go-kart either, like in a proper V8 supercar or something like that. Have a bit of fun with it. Um, it's a different type of rite of passage. It's very masculine, blokey, of course, but kind of fun to do as well. Well, you've got a lot happening. There's a lot going on. What's happening for you in the next 18 months? What are you working on at the moment? Is there a new book in the pipeline? Is there more speaking events? What's happening quick? Oh, it seems like I'm speaking more and more all over the place. So I've got several... I've got several events that I'm traveling around for. I get to go to Toronto and Florida and I'll either be speaking about words that work in business communications, or, you know, I've been getting a lot of requests to speak to people about becoming a writer. So I'm going up and teaching a writer's workshop. Not that I've got any kind of magic formula, but there's so many people who have a message to share and there's so many ways to do that. And then, yeah, I've got a second book I'm working on. It's called The Communication Code. So we'll see if uh, that book gets picked up and out into the world. Fantastic. That's very, very exciting. And where can people connect with you and find out more about you, Mary? A great place. Well, first of all, my website is maryshores.com. So that's Mary and then S-H-O-R-E-S.com. And a great way to really connect with me is through any social media, especially LinkedIn. So if you have a LinkedIn account, please send me a request. I love to be connected with you there. And I think it's a great way to get in touch with, you know, new people. I do it all the time. I'll like watch a documentary that I love and I'll, I'll send all the people LinkedIn requests and most of the time they accept it. And that's Awesome. awesome. And also my Facebook group is called Fearless Ambition. So, but the biggest thing is if you've resonated with what I've talked about today, I would just be so honored if you jump on Amazon or wherever is your favorite place to buy books, read the description and a handful of reviews, you'll know right away 
whether conscious communications is the book for you or not. Well, that, I think it definitely is. And even if you're kind of not quite connecting, grab it anyway, because it sounds absolutely fantastic. And there's definitely something to share in there. And you've been kind enough to have a little giveaway for us as well called the Daily Desires Diary Bundle. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, I'm super big into daily practices because, you know, I'm all about the subconscious mind and how to change that. And if, if you want to make real change, you know, transformation does not happen in a weekend. It, it happens in small pivots over a longer period of time. You know, like you were talking about reassimilating into that world after military life and you were able to do that, but it's because you had to make changes and keep them up. So daily practices are a great way to do that. And the one we're sharing with you today called the Daily Desires Diary, it's a journal page where I'm going to ask you for 45 days at the minimum to report three things that you're grateful for. And I could go all into the neuroscience um, behind that, but I won't because we're at the end of the show. Also, um, three things in the day that you're proud of, because I think that we don't take enough time to brag on ourselves. But so three things that, and also neuro, neurologically, you know, the more you reminisce on your small wins in life, the more you're building up the strategic thinking centers of your brain. So you'll get smarter if you do this worksheet. <laughs> um, and then the last thing is every day, three things you desire. Now, this is kind of like my secret weapon law of attraction daily desires page. So if any of you are into that, I would tell you that you're going to see an increase in synchronicities. If you do this and keep it up for at least 45 days, my hope is you'll continue it forever and ever. But if you do something for 45 days, you're more likely to continue. I've also given you an excerpt from the book. So I think you get all the way up till the end of chapter one in the book. So you can give that a read and see if you like it. Well, fantastic. We really appreciate you sharing that with us. And I'll make sure all of those links are included in the show notes, including the LinkedIn, how to connect with you and the link to the Daily Desires Diary Bundle as well. Well, that just about wraps up the show for today. If you haven't already subscribed to the Go All In podcast, if you could pop open your favorite podcasting app and hit that subscribe button for us, because that helps us out a whole lot. And if you like what you heard today, leave us a review because we love to hear your feedback as well. Well, thanks again, Mary, for coming on the show and sharing that with us. It's really wonderful to meet you. And maybe we can revisit that again soon when your new book comes out to a little bit of a promo PR plug because I'd love to hear more about what's coming up. Thanks again. And we'll speak with you again soon. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.